you're as gregarious and free-spirited a person as I apparently seem to be to some people, you may have ended up in a similar situation as I recently experienced while traveling on the Via Rail Express between here and London. It was a long journey, about three and a half hours, because of some frequent stops. And as any train goer will have you know, there is a certain type of person who simply can't go for more than an hour and a half, two hours on a train without striking up a conversation with whatever poor stranger happens to be sitting next to them. The woman sitting next to me on that train ride was just such a person. And it just so happened that the book I was reading, called The Imitation of Christ, had piqued her interest and her curiosity. And on that flimsy premise, we soon ended up in conversation. Now, she was a friendly enough woman, around middle age. She had a family, and I quickly learned that she was a, a Christian. And I share with her, of course, that I myself am also a Christian. To make a long story short, I heard this woman's witness, which I won't recount here except to say that I can't deny that this woman's adult life conversion experience was a powerful one, one which set her at odds with her own children, for whom she told me she prays every day that they will, in her words, come to Jesus. Her story truly did move me, but as powerful as that woman's witness was, I couldn't help but recognize certain patterns in her description of the Christian experience that I had seen before. And I felt myself bracing for a particular question, one that I've heard from many a deeply devout Christian before, from both friends and strangers. It's a question which often divides Christian from Christian, and a question which this woman did inevitably ask me. Have you been born again? Well, I never quite know how to answer this question. Because I believe that I have been, as the scripture says, born of the Spirit. But I know that what I think that means and what she thinks that means are two very different things. The big difference, though, is that I don't really care all that much if you disagree with my interpretation of whatever born of the Spirit means. But to some Christians, to have a different interpretation from theirs as to what this means, being born from above, being born of the Spirit, well, this ultimately means that I'm not really a Christian, right? And for that woman sitting next to me on the train that day, I knew that if I had tried to explain to her my understanding of this piece of doctrine, 
Well, I knew there would be no difference between myself and the children that she prays for every day to come to Jesus. I would be in her prayers, yes, but not as a legitimate brother in Christ. Rather, as someone who needs Christ, but hasn't quite found him yet. Not really. I know that Jesus doesn't want me to treat people differently based on whether or not I know for sure that they're a Christian. And he certainly doesn't want me to draw distinctions between different types of Christians who have experienced different types of baptisms, some more potent, some more legitimate or more official than others. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't really matter what ditch the water was drained from or what kind of wood the bowl that holds it is made out of. The question is, do you hear the Holy Spirit moving invisibly throughout your life? Do you allow the Spirit to move you to the places that it, not you, chooses? even if it chooses to take you where you do not wish to go. Perhaps into a difficult two-hour-long conversation with a woman on a train about the intricacies of interdenominational Christian doctrine. What are we to do as believing Christians when we are confronted by accusations that our belief is illegitimate? And how do we maintain our dignity as Christian people while loving our accuser as we should. The gospel story which we've heard here today does not depict one of those often quoted verbal sparring matches between Jesus and the Pharisees. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. He's not chastising the man. It may seem to us that Jesus is being relatively severe and quite aloof with Nicodemus, that he is in fact completely ignoring anything Nicodemus has to say and cutting right to the chase, cutting through Nicodemus's Pharisaic legalistic doctrine as someone like Jesus would come to expect. But this isn't the case at all. Because Nicodemus hasn't come to Jesus with some clever theological puzzle intended to dupe the man who does not deny that he's the Son of God. Rather, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night of his own volition to admit to Jesus, calling him rabbi, saying, we know, rabbi, teacher, that you are a teacher who comes from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And of course, Jesus' response to this does confuse Nicodemus, who takes Jesus' words far too literally. But again, Jesus isn't trying to school Nicodemus. He's not trying to take him to task. 
He's not trying to say to Nicodemus, listen here, you Pharisee. Listen here, you viper. Here's what you don't understand. And here's why you don't understand it. No. Nicodemus has come to Jesus after all to admit that Jesus is a teacher. So, Jesus gives to Nicodemus the lesson of his life, a bona fide piece of teaching. It's certainly not what Nicodemus expects, I'm sure. Perhaps he does expect a tongue lashing from this rabbi. But what Jesus does say to Nicodemus is just this. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And don't forget that the Greek word for spirit and the Greek word for wind are one and the same. And there you go, that's my seminary degree at work for me. Nicodemus gets mistakenly hung up on the physical and logistical implications of being born twice to some uh, awkward implications. Because religious people do have this tendency to be incredibly literal about certain things. Jesus says, be born from above. And Nicodemus says, I've already been born something which happens only once in a person's life. And similarly, there are some people today who think that being born again as a Christian requires a specific event in a person's life, an occasion in time and space, a moment when they received Jesus Christ into their hearts. A moment which divides their life into before I was saved and after I was saved. It is as if we are all meant to experience God's call to Abraham in our lives exactly as it's depicted in the Old Testament. As if God only speaks in fully constructed sentences rather than by patterns of experience which must be lived out to be understood. But if we know, as we do, that the Spirit blows where it chooses, and we hear the sound of it, but we do not know where it comes from or where it goes, well, then we realize that our belief is not so cut and dry, not so easily delineated as some might think. And as a too literal interpretation of scripture would suggest. Because you see, there's an element of flow in Christian faith which must be recognized. And sometimes the spirit blows mightily it blows quite powerfully, and, and it frightens us. And we might hunch ourselves up against it, as we would against a cold wind, and we might struggle against it. But we're still Christians, even when we struggle.
You see, what I said to that woman on that train ride in response to her, let's say, loaded question, my response, it's not really important. I can't really remember the specifics of what I said, but it certainly wasn't anything spectacularly brilliant. As I said, I really don't know how to answer that question in the first place. Because I know what will so often be the rebuttal. Now, an approximation of what I did say to her was something like, well, no, I haven't been born again. It's not something that's part of my tradition. Although I do have friends who are born again, and they're perfectly lovely people. And perhaps as I tried to explain to her, I tried to explain to her some of the doctrinal beliefs of Canadian Presbyterianism, a matter in which even I am certainly no expert. But none of that seemed to make an impression upon the woman. I remember very well what she said afterwards. Well, you know, you have to be born again. Wink, wink. You have to be born again for it to really count, right? And what was I going to do? All the arguments that my seminary career has thus far prepared me with, everything I could have said, would most likely have been lost on this person. Her mind was certainly made up. And I didn't want to argue with her anyways. There didn't seem to be any point. To be honest, I was really enjoying the conversation. An argument would just ruin the whole thing. She knew she was right, and I knew that I didn't agree with her. And who am I to say that her religious experience is incomplete or illegitimate just because of that particular disagreement? I cannot deny that Christ has somehow touched her life, that she has experienced the Spirit at work in her life and in the lives of those around her. even if she does think that I'm mistaken and incorrect in my own religious experience. Because we live in a free country, thank God, and I got off the train feeling nonetheless just as Christian as I had when I had climbed aboard. No harm, no foul. But for those of us who are understandably irked by this attitude, for those of us who feel somewhat attacked, and understandably so, when they've had a similar experience. Know this, when in our lives as Christians we meet accusations against our belief, let us not be offended. Let us not allow these things to get between us and our Christian brothers and sisters. We can engage with them yet. Rather, let us remember that the life of faith isn't easy, that types of belief vary widely, but that the heart of the matter is shared equally among us, even if some of the faithful deny it. Let us take the Christian path and bear that cross that cross of misunderstanding 
as well as we can. So what do we say, we heathenish Presbyterians, when some well-meaning man or woman asks us intently, have you been born again? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior into your life? Have you been saved? Let our answer be this. The wind blows where it chooses. I hear the sound of it. But I do not know where it comes from. I do not know where it goes. So it is with people of the Spirit. So it is with us in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. God of love, who so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that all who believe in him may have eternal life. We pray that we may feel your Spirit flowing through our flesh and our bones and comforting our souls like a breeze. May your Spirit take us on a gust of wind to new and unexpected places. Let it strengthen us and fill us with the confidence that we need to act boldly as your people in a dangerous world, so that we do not cower in fear at the challenges you set before us. In your wisdom, you have given us everything we need. Your Son, Jesus Christ, has taught us all that we need to know. And your Spirit continues with us, directing our reluctant footsteps. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these things. And we thank you for the love that you have for us, embodied forever in our Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.